Hello, and welcome. We're coming to you from the Oregon Convention Center in beautiful, lovely Portland, Oregon. And no, this podcast will not have a bird on it, so I do apologize for that. We're here coming to you from Rose City Comic Con. It is already, what time is it right now? It is 12.05 p.m. Uh, The panel that I came here to see which was the Star Trek Day panel, because as I'm recording this, it's September 8th, 2018, the 52nd anniversary of the premiere of the original series, and the 45th anniversary of the premiere of the animated series. Now, I'm going to try to see how much of me wandering around in the red sweater they'll allow me to do here. I'm hoping they'll be cool about it, but I can make no guarantees. Ma'am, I was um, overhearing your conversation. You said you were a Star Trek fan from the beginning, if I heard that. Yes, I watched the first episode. (laughs) Can I interview you really quick? Let me give you my card. Sure. It wasn't eavesdropping, I was just over here. You can't help but eavesdrop at these places. We're all on top of each other. Okay, so you can introduce yourself. I am Mary Ellen Doherty. Although at the time I, I watched the first Star Trek, I was Rob Lugatti, but anyway. Were you a fan of sci-fi at the time of the premiere? In books. I mean, we didn't have that much television. In fact, that was the huge appeal of Star Trek when it came on the air, is there was something science fictional that wasn't made for little kids. I mean, our science fiction was lost in space. That was as good as it got. Or maybe an episode here and there from, you know, Night Gallery or... So you weren't a fan of the Twilight Zone? I love the Twilight Zone. I don't consider that necessarily science fiction. I think most of that's science fantasy. Okay. They had a few episodes I call science fiction. That's what I'm talking about. It was okay. scattered okay. for anything that was mature. All right. You could only find it in books and, and maybe an occasional movie, but even the movies weren't that much then. Well, the you only can't... one being Forbidden Planet. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot ahead of that. I mean, until 2001 came out. There wasn't anything that was really breakthrough for adults or even for, you know, older kids. So you said that you were a fan of the authors. Were there any favorite authors you had? Oh, Isaac Asimov, uh, John Wyndham, John Harris. I liked a lot of the British stuff. Ray Bradbury, you know, the classic authors, A.E. Van Vogt. So I'm probably going to regret asking this. Where, where, Where do you lie on Harlan Ellison? Uh, Harlan, frankly, I have always liked personally. I always got on with him. He was very acerbic. I liked some of his stuff. I think he was a, a brilliant writer, but sometimes he kind of started believing his own publicity. <laughs> uh, I admired the fact that he stood up for what he believed. Uh, whether I agreed with him or not was irrelevant, but he, he never waffled on things, and if he said something, he stood behind it, and I did like that. And he, he got on well with my husband, who was uh, a fan from day one. Uh, my husband was Walt Doherty. He was a photographer for Famous Monsters of Filmland. Oh, wow. And uh, did things like, you know, he was the MC at, I think, the second World Fun. But, he, you know, he's, he was a big name in fandom. And he, we knew a lot of these people because he emceed so many conventions and stuff. That, you know, it's like, that, that's what, that was our crowd. So I kind of came in through the writer's circle. Okay. 
So the fact that Roddenberry reached out to all of these established authors to try to get episodes of the original yeah. series, was that also part of the draw? Uh, it, was, it was definitely part for me. Uh, I did not know this because I hadn't met my husband at the time, but uh, he and Roddenberry were buddies, and uh, they were members of a group that was a monthly gathering of science fiction writers that would go and every month somebody from the sciences would be a speaker for that evening. Or they might have somebody who was an astrophysicist or somebody who did museum work, it didn't matter. And they would come and talk about the, the latest stuff in their field. And the object being uh, the two people who started it, Tom and Terry Pinkard, had started it because they wanted to give the science fiction writers that they knew the latest cutting edge technology so that they could jump off of it for their stories. And so Roddenberry was part of that group. Okay. So he was getting input from these things, and, and he and Walt knew each other. So what were some of your favorite episodes of the original series? The original Trek? Um, Devil in the Dark. Balance of Terror. I absolutely adored Balance of Terror. Not, even though it was just basically just uh, the enemy below in outer space, I, I didn't. I loved the enemy below too, so it didn't I've matter. I've heard that. I've never seen the enemy, enemy uh, below, but I have heard yeah, that. Yeah, it's just without the Romulan ears. It's, <laughs> it's the same movie. Okay. It's it's actually a brilliant film, uh, and it was it was designed that way. It wasn't like an accidental copy. It was like a tribute to the film okay. because Roddenberry and his bunch and, and the author of it that they liked that. But, you know, I I liked pretty much most of the first season, pretty much all of the second season. Third season was you had to be a Star Trek fan to get through it. <laughs> I was part of the original letter campaign to, to save Star Trek after the second season when it had been canceled. And honestly, when we were at the third season, I was in college at the time, and uh -huh. I can remember we, we sat in the dorm lobby because that had the color television set. So we were down the RCA there. RCA color television? Yeah, whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was, it was uh, yeah. But when Spock's brain was on, I swear, it was like 15 minutes into the show, we all looked at each other, why did we send letters? <laughs> and then we had to come back later and said, well, it's still Star Trek. There must be something good about it. And we decided we liked Spock's jumpsuit. It looked cool. We, that, that kind of olive green jumpsuit was, was nice. So you were one of the first people that had a negative reaction to brain, brain, what is brain? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it was like as it aired. It was like, whoa. I mean, there were some others third season that kind of said, no, 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 no. But that one was like the winner. And the children shall lead. Um... Uh, I actually didn't mind that one so much. Uh, I didn't care that much for Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Really? Well, because I thought it was over the top. Really? I think they could have done it in a more subtle way. and They, they were not subtle. And all the running through the place, just can you stop running and, and arrive somewhere? Well, it's interesting. But they had no money. I mean, it was well, like they yeah. were out of budget and they had to do stuff. I remember re-watching that on BBC America a couple of years ago around the time of the Michael Brown stuff. Yeah. And it was scary how much it was still, even though it was fifty about a 50-year-old episode, yeah. it still sounded like it, it was today and what yeah. was being said by... The, the talking heads on yeah, all the cable channels. They, they could have done it better. Oh. I, I think they could have been ahead of that. And I think the, even at the time, because I'm talking, we were judging it at the time. And we were kids, in my group were the college students. So we were the age that would be interested, involved, and all this kind of stuff. And we all just, 
That was that was bad. <laughs> and just a little the over the top performances without being good over the top. I don't mind over the top if it works. Yeah. I didn't really think it worked there. But I know I probably have offended a bunch of people who really love that episode. Whatever. Um, well, there's a, a rule by an, another Star Trek podcaster called John Champion, and the rule essentially goes that everyone's favorite episode is someone else's least favorite episode. Probably true. Yeah, I, that's, I think that's true with most series. I mean, I've had conversations with Doctor Who fans, and you pick favorites and not favorites. And some people will say, well, every episode of David Tennant's was great. Well, I saw Fear Her. I wasn't that impressed. <laughs> you know, and I saw Love and Monsters, and it, it had interesting makeup and an interesting concept, but best episode? I don't think so. Well, I personally think the David Tennant era was at its peak when he had Donna Noble at his companion. I do, too. I love Donna. I thought she was just a spectacular companion. She just, uh, to me, she was head and shoulders. It was like in the classic era. I'm sorry, I'm a Sarah Jane Smith person. Okay. And Sarah Jane was... The red hat. Uh, well, it's not my red hat. My oh. hat just keeps slipping. Oh, okay. But anyway, uh, Sarah Jane was just, she was so night and day different. She wasn't just the, the flaky, pretty girl. She wasn't Joe Grant in her mini skirts. You know, although, you know, Katie Manning is a lovely person and all this stuff, and she played her role well. But Sarah Jane Smith was interesting. She had some character to her. And I loved the way they brought her back. That was like, oh, yeah. I understand David Tennant was kind of taken aback, too, because yeah. she was his favorite. <laughs> and here he is acting with her. And it was like he didn't have to act when he saw her. It's like the look on his face was real. Yeah. I've heard that. So... Let me ask you, because today is the 52nd anniversary of the debut of the original right. series, and to move forward a little, it's also the 45th anniversary of the debut of the animated series. <laughs> now, because you were a fan at the time, right. what was your reaction when you heard they were bringing it back, but they were bringing it back as a Saturday morning cartoon show? I was actually interested. I thought that could be a good concept. I, I didn't have a lot of pros and cons. I enjoyed the series while it was on. I thought a lot of the scripts, frankly, were as good or better than some of the ones that were on the original series. So I, I wouldn't have minded if it had continued. But then we might not have had the movies and yeah. the other stuff, too. It's, stuff fills the gap. So, and I said I was over here, not trying to eavesdrop, yeah. but I heard you bring up Discovery. Yeah. Now... Have you seen... I have not seen Discovery. Okay. I'll be quite honest. It didn't really interest me from what I was reading about it. Uh, I may eventually see it. it. It's difficult for me to re, re, uh, get streaming stuff. Okay. What is coming out on DVD in, in November? In DVD, I might possibly be interested. I, I'm not going to pay a premium price for the DVD. I can tell you that okay. right now. Okay. But, but I, I just... It, I've just heard a lot of negative. However, I, in uh, my alternate self here is saying, when Deep Space Nine was on, there was a lot of negative flack about Deep Space Nine, uh, that it was too dark, it was too uh, contemporary, it didn't have Roddenberry's idealistic view vision of the future. I really liked Deep Space Nine. I, I thought that they, they had some wonderful stuff there and some really interesting concepts and thought-provoking episodes and terrific acting so you know 
I don't know, maybe something in Discovery will tweak me. I don't know. See, I never heard that originally with Deep Space Nine being too dark. I heard the main complaint was they were on a station and they didn't go anywhere. That was another complaint, yeah. And yet I didn't find that a major problem. And, of course, they solved it by getting their, their Defiant. The Defiant later so that they could go off and have off-world adventures. Admittedly, if you're out in a spaceship, uh, you have more opportunity for story development and things. So, so having been through all of this yes. at the beginning, do I still watch Star Trek? Well, well, there's that. <laughs> but what what do you hope to see for the the franchise continuing on? Good scripts, frankly. Uh, not expressing, I don't know, a, a heavy-duty need to have a social agenda presented in every episode. It becomes tempting to contemporary writers. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's better to convey your message when it's incorporated into the, the storyline, the plot. The people watching it aren't stupid. They don't need to have this thing really explained to them. And that's what I think the original Star Trek was actually very good at. I mean, sometimes people will say that the stories were simplistic. They really weren't. You um, know. I know. I forget the episode um, that was the Vietnam allegory. Yeah. Um, um, oh shoot, the one with the Magatu. Um. Paradise Syndrome was no, it? Paradise no, Syndrome no, no, was no. That three. was that was yeah, yeah. That was the other. That, that was. I'm blind too. I, I can see the characters. Yeah, but it was basically a Vietnam allegory yeah. with the Federation yeah. as the United States as the Klingon right. as the, yeah. the Eastern. Well, there were a number of Vietnam things because that, of course, was the contemporary thing. I think they were wise not to get too involved in making it like a, a real metaphor. Keep it more general because it can apply not just to Vietnam but to who knows how many other scenarios. It's better to let people think because it gets your message across better. I mean, that was honestly to me the last, I know we're talking Star Trek, but the last series of Doctor Who, Peter Capaldi's last series. Not so much the very final episodes, which were different and whatever, but it was just like there was a message of the week. And there was one episode, I had. There, I, I kept track because I actually was writing to the BBC department because they'd asked me. I'd written some comments and they yeah. said, can you give him more details? And I did. And this one had like something like eight different agendas that were in this thing. In your face agendas, smack in your face. Don't let people think about it. We're going to tell them what to think. And that doesn't work. It just really doesn't. you got to show what's going on. Make it part of the plot. And they could have done it. They could have done it easily. And I think science fiction is a perfect vehicle to do that in. Then what are your thoughts about Jodie Whittaker being the 14th Doctor, comma, 13? Oh, when I see her. Okay. I mean, I, I can't judge Jodie Whittaker. I'm, I'm personally, I've never been in favor of a woman doctor for a lot of reasons, which are too involved to go. Okay. But they're not really sexist reasons. Okay. They're, they're, they're structural reasons and, and just commentary and, and things like... Um, in the new Doctor, not so much the older Doctors, yeah. the classic series, but in the new ones, the Doctor is pretty much kind of a wacky eccentric, and he has a very strong female companion with him who is stable and keeps him like on track and centered, and 
you know, think Donna Noble. She's pulling yeah. the doctor back from, like, being crazy. Um, and, she, and she's not afraid to, to sort of, like... She's, she's a strong person. Right. So now you flip that. What do you have? A wacky female doctor with a strong masculine companion? How is that breaking a stereotype? Not really breaking a stereotype. But, he's, but she's going to have three companions. Yeah, and I think that's why they may be doing that, because they got to have people, they, they can play the companions off each other, not so much off the doctor. But I think that's something, I don't know whether they've thought about it or not thought about it. And as far as Jodie Whittaker, I'll have to see her. I've seen her in other things. Okay. I, I admit firsthand I've only seen her playing kind of average, ordinary people. So is she going to have that streak of, eccentricity for the doctor or a streak of something that that makes her doctor special not just being female that doesn't count for, in my book you know that, that's that's not a reason she's got to have something else I don't know uh, if it was me casting it there are other and we were told it was going to be a woman there are other British actresses I think I would have picked over her like whom Let's start with Olivia Coleman I think she would be an excellent doctor but she's busy playing Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, I know, but who knows when they started planning changing over the doctor. That wasn't like right now. Yeah. But it's also possible, and you don't know because I haven't been behind the scenes, they may have offered it to her, and because she had just signed up to play Queen Elizabeth, maybe she couldn't take the role. I mean, you don't know all this stuff. Well, I know there was an internet campaign to get Marina Surtees as, as the first woman doctor. I, frankly, I'll tell you what I would have liked them to do. Bring back Jenny, the doctor's daughter. Because okay. she, she's a clone of the 10th doctor. So in effect, she is already a woman doctor. So why are we saying, talking about this now? We've had a woman doctor. Well, she's out there. She, she's out running around the universe yeah. in her spaceship. Uh, why not bring Jenny back? You know, and Instead of replacing the doctor, you have an add-on or make a spin-off or something like that. And you've already got her. You got the character evolved. Uh, she was popular. People still like the character. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Uh, I definitely would have liked seeing Jenny back. I'd still like to see Jenny back. And we still have Romana is out there someplace, too. They could have a third Romana, isn't it? You know, we've had yeah. two already, so it could be a third Romana. She's a, not the doctor, but she's a female time lord. I mean, and the last incarnation of the Master was a woman. Was a woman. And you've got the Ronnie, who's another one out there, you know, who was kind of played a little too campy on the series, but she could be a, a quite evil villain brought back if you want to throw it that way. So I don't know. I'm not on the planning boards. <laughs> Whatever. And I think Trek has had to make that many decisions, too. They, they change hands, and there's different people involved. I have been fortunate enough to work on a couple of the films. Which films? Uh, well, I worked not actually on the films, but like in the production area on Star Trek two and three. Wow! I, I worked in the print shop and I handled like seeing that the scripts got copied and stuff like that. And then four and five, I actually did some work that's in the film. Especially four, I have actually quite a bit of work that's in four. And, what did you do for four? Well, if you remember George and Gracie, the whales, yes. the actual design for the whale was mine. I, I had actually created it for a bumper sticker to go on the girls' truck. 
She had these various whale bumper stickers, which I did those. That was yeah. one of my assignments. But I cut something to be silk screened for bumper stickers with this whale. And at the time, they were trying to find a design for the big billboards to go on the bus okay. for George and Gracie. And it went to a number of people in the shop. I was in the sign shop at Paramount. And they, they went to a number of the artists. And they said, can you give us a you know, concept thing? So they drew up their things. In the meanwhile, this thing for the bumper sticker was up there, and everything had to go through Leonard Nimoy's hands for approval. So my whale went to his, and he looked at my whale, and he says, I want this whale. <laughs> so he's like, okay, cool. Wait, I, I know he was the director. Why did everything have to be approved by his? He wanted to approve any of the artwork that okay. was being used in the show that was kind of like a feature artwork. Okay. I did uh, brochures for the Whale Museum, which you don't really see that well, but they actually were quite detailed. I did Chekhov's ID badge. I helped dress the set of the Enterprise. A at lot the, of at the end of the at movie? the end of the movie. Yeah. Oh wow! That was a, like a last minute thing. We had no time to do it. It was like hysterically funny. My one issue with that is I, I always see think that bridge is is too bright. And well, you're lucky it was there at all. Is all <laughs> I can say, because they had no time, and my boss was coming up with creative stuff, and he was spray painting things with stencils and things and I'm running back and forth to the shop and we had people in the shop doing things because it was a last minute either a schedule change or something changed and there was like a day to get that whole set together. Was that something they decided to tack on at the end or was that originally in the script? I just really don't know. But they were fun. I mean I, I got to meet some cool people including one of my favorites is Mark Leonard, who's playing Sark. I, I at one time was the membership chairman of his fan club. And uh, I was being given a tour by the makeup artist of, of the set, because he wanted to show off his alien yeah. makeups, because he knew I was also a makeup fan. So We were down on the set, and it was they were rehearsing the scene where they're at the Federation, and the big glass window implodes with all the water in yeah. back of it. And Mark Leonard was in makeup as Sarek, but he was wearing a bathrobe because he wasn't up for a while. And the makeup artist, when he found out I'd been in the fan club, he says, well, i got to introduce you. So yeah. I brought him over. He not only uh, was nice, he remembered me because I had, wow. I had done a cover picture for the fan club journal that he had liked, and he remembered <laughs> my name, <laughs> which was actually cool. So. This is one of the decisions in hindsight. I really wish I hadn't decided I had to go back to work that afternoon. Yes, oh. I, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time. We were so busy in the shop, so I had to kind of make my departures, but he was really sweet. Okay. Well, thank you very much, ma'am. You are very welcome. Thank you. Have fun with your well, hopefully day. one day I'll get to see you at Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, I doubt it. I really don't do the Trek conventions okay. anymore. I have to pick and choose these days. And uh, and is this your big convention? Do you, you live in the Portland area? I, I live in, in Longview, Washington. Okay. So this is close enough to drive. Okay. So, so it would be this one in Embro City? Um, possibly. Or at, like last year, I went to Anglicon, which was also Seattle. Okay, I'm not familiar with that convention. It, it's a smaller, kind of PBS-oriented I say kind of because it really wasn't last year. Picture of well, they they they're fans of British television. Okay. So So it's shows that have aired on PBS. Like are you being served? Yeah, and whatever. 
Last year it was Doctor Who-ish because okay. the guest stars were Peter Davison and Sylvester McCoy. Okay. And this year it's going to be the women of British science fiction and they have, I think, four or five okay. guests who, women uh, leads or at least co-leads on British okay. science fiction shows. Okay. So they have a different theme at whatever the year is. Okay. But I've been to that one. Okay. And I've traveled because I, I tend to travel to follow Peter around because he's okay. just... He's worth it. So is Capote, the 13th Doctor, comma, 12 your favorite? Uh, number five is my favorite. Really? Yes. Number of, of the original Doctors, three is my favorite. And of the modern Doctors, it's David Tennant. Yeah. Well, three was my favorite because he was my first Doctor for okay. many years. Until I got to really watching Peter's stuff later. I actually had not seen all of Peter's because... I'd kind of gotten away from Doctor Who because it wasn't being aired except at 2 in the morning. And you didn't have VHSs or DVDs like you do now, yeah. so I'd kind of lost track of it. And then when I got back and watched Peter's stuff, I just started really recognizing that he's a really brilliant actor. And I just, yeah, he, he and John kind of sat on their little pedestal together for a while. And then I decided, my, my deciding thing was, do I want to see them in something other than Doctor Who? With John Pertwee, it really was, no, I wasn't that interested. I loved him as the Doctor, but I wasn't that interested in seeing his carry-on movies and stuff. Yeah. With Peter, absolutely, I want to see everything he's ever done because he's so brilliant. <laughs> Are you talking Peter Capaldi? Yeah. I'm talking Peter Davison. Oh, oh sorry, Peter. Wrong Peter. We sorry. Peter D and Peter C. Yeah? Okay, sorry. Uh, Peter Capaldi, I have really only seen in his, oh gosh, what was it, the zombie thing. Oh, my 28, 28 weeks well, later? No, it's, uh, gosh, what was the name of that thing? I don't know. It's, you know, a zombie apocalypse okay. film. He didn't have a very big role okay. in it. I, I've seen him in a few things, but other than, I mean, I'd seen him in Torchwood, which had really impressed the heck out of me. And of course, I'd seen him on Doctor Who, yeah. which I had liked, but I really thought he was fabulous in Torchwood. I was pleased that he became a doctor. I think his scripts were not up to his capacity for doing them, especially the last series I wasn't impressed with. Did you have issues with the Christmas episode? No, actually, I like the Christmas episode. I'm one of the few. Uh, and you were okay at how they portrayed the first doctor? Because there was a lot of criticism oh, this, about them. This most recent one, yes. Okay. Uh, I didn't like some of the stuff they had him doing. It's again trying to change history by okay. doing, and I didn't care for that. They didn't need to do that. Okay. Uh, I liked David Bradley. I thought he was a wonderful first doctor. Yeah. But I, I was thinking the year before, the year oh, before you two mean, years ago. I mean, it was like the, the husband, husband's, uh, husband's rivers. Song. That yeah. was a funny one. I mean, it was it was funny, and there was a lot of over the top stuff, but it was deliberately fun over the top. I don't mind that if it's yeah. done well, and I thought that was done well. And the last 10 or 15 minutes of it was some of the most brilliant writing and acting I've seen in years. They were wonderful. And to go through that scene and seeing these two characters play against each other. Knowing and, that that's the last time yeah, that, that, that they're gonna Capote's going to see, yeah, see her yeah. and know, know what's going to happen to exactly. her. Exactly. We all know her ending before it ever starts. So you've yeah. got that. And you've got these two people who... Um, are basically saying I love you, but they can't say those words. And I thought it was just exquisite. And that was, that, I, I wrote a letter to all three of them actually. It, it takes a while to get me to write a letter these days. I used to be really <laughs> big on it, but yeah. 
got, got nice stuff back from Peter Capaldi okay. and got stuff back from Stephen Moffat. And I, I liked it. I think probably Alex Kingston may not have even gotten mine. I'm not sure if that address that I had was was okay. good, but I did get stuff back from the other two, okay. which was nice. Right. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry to, to take up your time. <laughs> Thank you very much. Can she get a transcript of what you guys talk about? Oh well, it's going to be posted. On the podcast, yeah, on the podcast, yeah. It'll be edited, hopefully, by the end of September, the beginning of October. Yeah. And then I'll sit there and think, I should have said, whatever. (laughs) He wanted to talk about Star Trek, and I talked about Doctor Who. That's fine. Well, that's fine, because David Tennant's panel was earlier today. Yeah, we were at that. Which is why I was really thinking Doctor Who, because (laughs) we were at that panel, and I had to... Was he promoting, wait, is he doing the audio dramas? He's doing everything. He's doing big finishes. Uh, but I thought they were... But he's, he's, he's doing uh, DuckTales. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing, I guess, another Jessica Jones thing. Wait, but he died. I don't know, but he's supposed to be in the next one. He but, dies. But, you know, the... there, there could be flashbacks. There could be all okay. kinds of stuff. Who knows? That, it could be flashbacks. I don't know. And it, there was something else. that he. Well, what, there were three that he was plugging. I can't remember what the third one was. He was mentioning Bad Samaritan, which, of course, is out now. Okay. Broadchurch? No, Broadchurch is done. Broadchurch is done. It just seemed like, oh, uh, Good and Evil? I think oh, their post-production, um, though. Oh, um, Good Omens. Good Omens. That was it. Good Omens. Well, I'm, I, I think I, that's I, got a while before that's released. I'm surprised it took them that long to finally get around to doing a film adaptation of that. Well, there, there's money, there's legal stuff, <laughs> there's scripting. They may have been working on this for five, six years by now. Have you read the book? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well... There's a, there, there's like, I do like the author, but I have not read that book. Well, imagine the omen done by Monty Python. Yeah. Uh, that would be intriguing, yes. That's the book, essentially. Okay. And there's this joke. You have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and then you have these people who meet up with them who refer to themselves as the other four horsemen of the apocalypse, <laughs> or just these four regular motorcycle bikers. It sounds like potential for a film. I mean, I've seen the, the behind-the-scenes okay. stuff that's been popping up because I follow David Tennant's uh, main Facebook page okay. just so I can get updates on what, what the heck he's doing. Okay. I don't follow him religiously, but I do like his work, so I do like to keep okay. up with him. All right. Well, I'll let you go now. All right. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you never know who you're going to meet at these things. All right, so what time is it right now? It is. It's 12.39 right now. There's a lot of cosplay here, and that's a unique Disney superhero mashup. It's Snow White as Supergirl? Question mark? So there's a break, well, not so much a break in the action. I'm here up on the 
I don't know what this is. I want to say the second, third floor-ish. Because the Oregon Convention Center, Oregon. Let me say that again. Oregon. And I'm probably going to get tweets. But this place is huge. So I know I'm definitely not in the L.A. area because the 5 Freeway, the signs are all screwed up because it says 5 North Seattle. And that can't be right. 5 North is San Francisco. Everybody knows this. <laughs> well, what, what were you dressed up as yesterday? Just a random just oh. a conglomeration of stuff that I put together. Okay. It still looked really odd. Okay. I do odd stuff. I love that. <laughs> I've seen... It's Gandalf. Gandalf, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're here at the, let me make sure I'm saying this right, the Northwest Star Trek Week booth. I finally found it. This vendor's room is freaking huge. Okay, so if you can introduce yourself. I'm Daniel DiGiorgio, and I'm the uh, leader of Star Trek fans of the Northwest. And we're a meetup group that is designed to basically offer social interaction op options for Star Trek fans in the Seattle, Vancouver area. Okay, so where'd you get the idea to form the group? You know, I didn't form the group. I kind of took the group over from somebody else who basically was just looking to meet some friends that were into Star Trek. And so he started the group up and five years later we're the biggest fan group in, in the Portland area. We've got over a thousand members on our um, meetup page. Wow. So what, what uh, meet events do you, does your group normally do? Um, well, we have uh, two game nights a month that we do, um, gaming nights. We, we also host marathon events where we basically on a Sunday afternoon will watch Star Trek all day. <laughs> we do that about every other month. And then we also try to get together for foodie events or really anything that somebody says, hey, we'd all enjoy doing this, and then we try to do it. Okay. So um, do, do you ever take the group? Or a delegation or a group to say like other big cons, say like STLV or... It's funny you ask that because we had almost 20 people as a group at Star Trek Las Vegas this year. Oh, wow. And our next one, we're hoping to do the uh, Star Trek cruise in 2020. Okay. Not the one coming up, right. but the one because yeah. this one wiped us out. <laughs> so we want to give people a chance to recharge their, their finances and we're hoping to do the cruise together as a group too. So yeah, and we've also drove up to Seattle to do um, the uh, museum up there, the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Mopop Museum, when they had their Star Trek exhibit, okay. we took about a dozen people up there and did that. So, yeah, we try to get out when there's something that we can organize that's affordable and that people yeah. can do. Okay. Not that Star Trek Las Vegas is affordable, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, relatively speaking, it, well, I mean, it's it, in the same time zone. It is, it is. It and is. it was fun. And, you know, I had done the convention once before, and it was just me and a friend and, and a few people I knew at the con, like Michael here, but... This time, having 15 to 20 people there meant everywhere we went, we had a half a dozen people at least to hang out with. So it was, it was a total blast to be at. So if you're to give anyone tips if they're going to STLV for their first time, what would you tell them? Um, I think the best tip would be to, to go to the grocery store and buy a lot of snack food that you can eat throughout the day because it's too expensive to eat food there. Stock up on food and um, eat like one meal a day there that you pay for. Um, and otherwise, have a great time because everybody there is very positive. It doesn't matter if you're shy, you go, you'll meet people. And it's just a great thing to do if you're a Star Trek fan. Okay.
Well, I was there. Normally, I usually stay at the Gold Coast to save money. Were all of you at the Rio? Um, most of us were. Um, you were at, at the Gold, Gold Coast. Coast. Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely uh, a tip. You know, stay yeah. at the Gold Coast um, to save a little money on that. Definitely quite a bit of money, I think. Yeah, about yeah. half. Rio really jabs you pretty good at the at the at the at the ticket uh, yeah, at, at the hotel rates. I know, and they were like the next year's convention already broke records. The um, I think gold is it gold or captains. Is over a thousand dollars. That would be gold, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just under a thousand this year, so I'm sure that makes sense that they've gone over. Yeah, it, it's really not cheap. You have to go there, planning to drop a couple grand per person at the minimum. Um, but unlike any other convention you can really go to, it's 100% Star Trek for five days. I mean, you are surrounded by nothing but Star Trek, which is what makes it so special to any other con you might be able to go to. If I, were, if I were going to give a tip, it would be to, if you don't have a lot of money, but you can get to Vegas, there are opportunities to volunteer, which means you would give a couple hours up in trade for a ticket to get in. So there is there are opportunities that are low budget. You do have to spend some time, your own credit, to be able to be there. But it does give you an opportunity to get in and also to look on Gold Star towards the uh, beginning or middle of the convention as it's going through because they will offer tickets at a discount if they are, haven't sold them for general admission or yeah. other things. So that's another way to save a little bit of money if you're going to go to the convention. Yeah, I noticed that this year it wasn't as crazy as it had been the last several years. I think it's fair to say it was slower. Of course, I, I had only been there once before, and that was in 2016 for the 50th when it was packed. Yeah. It was definitely slower than that. Michael would have a better idea of how it was compared to the average normal con. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit slower. I think part of it was if people would have known that Discovery was going to be more prominent than it was, uh, they would have had greater attendance, but they really didn't get Discovery to commit till towards the end of the cycle, around May and June, when people had already made plans either to go or not to go. Uh, with Discovery coming into their second season, I could see next year being a lot busier. Uh, it was really fantastic if you were a Discovery fan because you could get in or interact with a lot of the Discovery yeah. actors uh, a lot more uh, more quality interaction with people like Doug Jones uh, and other others on the cast. Uh, where in other years you probably won't be able to do that. So it was a, yeah. it was a great thing for people that were there to be able to explore Discovery and actually get to know the people on the cast more so than they probably will next year or as it grows and gets more popular in the years to come. So um, let me ask you in your group because we're experiencing this everywhere in the Star Trek fandom. Is there a minority that have have either I guess the best way to start, they're gatekeepers who aren't fans of, of the Discovery or they refuse to pay the $5.99, $9.99 a month okay. and they're propping up the Orville saying that it's, it's more Star Trek. Have you had any interactions or dealing like that? Well, I've seen a lot of that on the internet. I follow, I follow a lot of that stuff. Um, I love Discovery and I think that mostly what you have is people that want to poo-poo it because of the gate, the gate wall, the the, the pay gate. Yeah. Um, I and you know there are some elements of it that that aren't popular with the with the people that maybe have a more conservative angle on things. You know, I know people that watch it with kids. It's not a kids show. No, it's so if you're coming to into it and Star Trek and you want to bring it to your kids, this isn't the show to do that with. Um, but I, I think Star Trek's going to be bringing out a lot more of that stuff down the road. I'm hoping. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I know that when I was at the convention, 
It was 100% warmth for the Discovery yes. group. I mean, everybody there was behind it. He was absolutely right. You got to get close to people. Doug Jones was probably the highlight for me, just taking a $20 selfie, <laughs> and he was just the warmest, most wonderful person to me. So, you know, but I, I don't think, I think that most of that is just internet trolls, okay. honestly. I don't see it as being the average, true, diehard fans that would spend the money to go to a convention. Most of them are not hating on Discovery. What was it? Were you at the, um, oh, um, oh God, um, why, why is his name blanking on me? Um, Dwight from The Office. Oh, uh, Rain. Rain Wilson. Were you at the Rain Wilson panel? I think I missed the Rain Wilson panel, or at least half of it. Okay. I missed most of that. It was interesting because Rain Wilson had asked the audience how many of them had not seen Discovery, and a lot of the hands that went up were in the gold and the captain chair section. Right. Well, that would probably... Yeah, because it's definitely the older guard that have been less or have mo most resistant. Although I have to say my friend Bob here, who is as old guard as they come, he enjoyed oh. Discovery quite a bit with us because oh. he was open-minded to it, and he, and he enjoyed it quite a lot with us. Okay. Uh, speaking, speaking as someone with kids, I would find that you don't necessarily have to shy away from all of the episodes for kids. There are some that definitely uh, do warrant some editing and some forwarding. But for the most part, it's been a pretty good experience. Um, we, we typically watch the shows before we let our children see what the content is. And if we know there are some spots, we're like, all right, kids, hide your eyes or whatever and uh, close your ears. And then we pass through whatever it is. But overall, still a good experience uh, for them because eventually, being Star Trek fans that they are, they're eventually going to probably find the content anyway when we're not around. So it's good to kind of let them know there are some things, but not be, you can't watch it because then it's uh, something, you don't want to make it taboo to the point where you don't want them to still engage in the, in the show. Uh, and, and regarding uh, any sort of dislike of the Orville, I find that most everyone that I've interacted with loves the Orville. Um, for me, I look at it as an extension of Galaxy Quest, which is, of course, a play on the convention experience for people yeah. you know, that love shows. And I think that there's something more Star Trek than actually having that sort of homage and also a lot of the actors coming back from Star Trek to play in, like Penny Johnson, who was in, you know, was Cassidy Yates in DS9. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and so I think that it's, uh, the Orville's done a great job. So I think there's a room for both of those things where they deviate from Star Trek as a whole, they deviate from the norm from that, but there's still enough similarities between them and Discovery being the, the alternate timeline, if you will. Uh, I, I think there's a place for all of it and people just need to relax and just have fun. It's, it's entertainment. It's not something you're going to say, and, and on the first day, God created Discovery. And people Scotty beamed them up. And Scotty beamed them up. <laughs> and there was much rejoicing when the... When the to when to the quote that Futurama episode, The Church exactly. of Trek. Exactly. So, um, to go back to an early point, so you have children? I do. How, what are their ages? Ballpark them. 29, 27, 25, 23, 19, uh, 19, oh, wow. 14, uh, 6, uh, 1949, and 4. Okay, so it's, it's more of the, the younger, yeah, the younger ones. ones. Yes. So, how many, well, I know there, there's probably the one episode of Discovery, I know for sure, with, with um, with Tilly's cat season one catchphrase yes. that you probably had to earmuff yes. the kids with. Yeah, I, I, I didn't feel that, that was necessary. It was a kind of a throwaway line to see if they could, what would happen if they did it. I didn't think that it was necessary. I mean, there was, I would, I would expect more uh, of that sort of an exclamation with somebody getting shot 
that would be like, yeah, totally expected for somebody to drop a bomb when they're getting shot or something just got blown up in front of them before they got onto a ship or out of an airlock, you know. See, as they're floating off into space, ah, you know, I can see something like that. I didn't think it was uh, highly appropriate for the context in which it was said. Um, but then again, having kids or not having any sort of warning beforehand, it was a bit of a shock. But after that, we're off, we're like, okay, well, now we know what to kind of expect and we have to censor. First, we have to kind of check out everything before we send anybody through. So, yeah, in context, I don't think it was appropriate, but I can see where it could be applicable in certain situations, especially with our society and the way it's going. Yeah. I used to I used to watch it a little bit before Michael would do it, and I'd send him a little text message. This one's kid friendly. Yeah. Screen this one first. Yeah. I would give him a little heads up on it beforehand, so he knew whether or not he needed to screen it. Well, I know I'm guessing that uh, magic to make the sanest man go crazy. That'd probably be a great one to watch with kids. Yes. Yeah. The second Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a lot of fun and yeah. pretty tame. Yeah, I thought Rain Wilson did a great job with his uh, with his portrayal. Uh, I'm getting bored with watching you die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Some very great lines for that one. Yeah. Well, he said at Vegas that he's the first person to do a captain's log who wasn't a captain. I guess he was. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. It seems like at least one of the crew members had done a captain's log at some point, but maybe Riker, I'm wrong. Maybe Riker in uh, Best of Both Worlds. Well, I mean, who wasn't a Starfleet officer. Okay, yeah, that'd probably be fair, yeah. 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 Well, may, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the Kazon. Uh, but, they, but they didn't ever open an episode with captain's log. That's true, that's true. Okay, yeah. well, there yeah, you go. You got us. I, you're right. That's <laughs> I didn't goes. really think about that. I don't tend to do real good at, at trivia stuff because <laughs> oh, okay. I just kind of watch it and enjoy it, and I don't really okay. think too deeply about it. No, no, Jennifer would be able to tell you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, well, sure. just to give you a heads up, because I don't know if you heard, the lead up to season two of Discovery, they're going to be doing um, mini webisodes. Oh, very cool. Yes, I had heard about that 10 to 15 minute. Bits, yeah. I think. I didn't know if they were web. I, I well, I imagine on Star Trek CBS All Access, yeah. on the CBS All Access. So I guess that would be a webisode in yeah. a sense. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm thrilled about it, and I'm hoping to. I'm hoping they drop them soon because they said they're going to drop four of them before it starts. So I'm assuming the first one will come out in October, hopefully. October, November is because they said tw that season two is 2019. Yes. Yes. Uh, J January seemed to be a pretty. I mean, they were pretty weighted on it being in January or early February. I think it'll be early 2019, not like, I don't think it'll, I think it'll be pretty, like, I believe it'll be in January. I think that's when they're going to drop it personally. Being that it's so long between, I think they're going with the Breakfast Club approach where, you know, don't you forget about me. We're doing a webisode, baby. Uh, so I can see them doing that and actually keeping it top of mind for fans that are getting, it's so inconsistent with the releases so far. Uh, the first one was supposed to be in May and it didn't come out until October. And now they said, well, we're going to go yearly and now it's pushed into the next year. Yeah, with the Picard series. And yeah, well, I can tell you one thing. I wasn't disappointed. When I heard it was going to be released later, I was a little disappointed because I was really looking forward to watching it. But to see the cinematic quality, the sound, the costumes, the prosthetic, the uh, the, the plot lines, the writing, and the acting all put together in that package, it was worth the wait. And I think that'll be worth the wait when you're gonna see it coming through in January as well. So people are like, well, why can't they do this show, you know, and have it consistent like the other ones? This is taking the quality of Star Trek to such a high level of execution that you just, you, it's art. And sometimes art takes longer yeah. than you thought it would to make it right. And that's something that 
excites me because they are not sacrificing the quality of the show just to make a deadline. I'm thrilled about season two. I'm really excited about what's going on. I, I do think that also one of the things that I took away from Star Trek Las Vegas was that they, I, I get the feeling they're planning to use the all access platform to give us Star Trek on a much more consistent basis. That's why uh, Akiva Goldsmith is like the showrunner of several shows now yeah. and he's planning to diversify which I would assume means that they're trying to keep something fairly consistently yeah. available so that we'll, we won't want to cancel all <laughs> access once the season's over. Yeah. If you can introduce yourself and let everybody know who you're cosplaying as today. Oh, my name is Michael Ruff, and I'm cosplaying Nibiru from Into Darkness. Uh, this character set, the tribe, is on screen for a minute 32. I was the first one to actually cosplay this uh, a couple weeks after the movie came out, developed the character from that, and have since uh, developed a tribe. We have tribal members go as Nibiru uh, at multiple uh, cons all over the place, and today we have uh, four of us as Nibiru. Uh, the rest of my tribe is wandering around the convention floor. <laughs> okay. I was seeing in the background, I'm like, I know he, who is he dressed up as? And then I got up close and then I, I could see the, the, see the makeup close up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is a unique uh, makeup design by Neville Page for uh, Into Darkness. And uh, I've interacted with Neville on this and it was very difficult for them to do the makeup originally because they had suits that they were wearing and they were covering them with clay. And they were having problems with people hypercooling or going into uh, hypothermia wearing this makeup even outside because they would sweat and they would hypercool. So they actually had warming blankets for these guys outside in the sun because it was such a dynamic that they weren't expecting. So a lot of the stuff that I've done with this uh, to put this character together is to get away from the clay. I like to go as close to the uh, the vision of the of the artist as possible. But in that case, after hearing all the problems that they had, I've gone with more of a uh, aqua color based makeup and then doing texturing on top of that to, to get the look that looks close, really close to the to the character. And Neville Page has seen the stuff that we're doing and he really likes the fact that we're doing this and we're doing it at a level that uh, really does show what he intended the art to look like. How long did it take you to get all the makeup on? Uh, this morning, it took me about 30 minutes to do all this this morning. We've got it down to, to an art form. I've done this character now probably 30 times over the last five years, so five, six years now. And uh, I've done a lot of other people. We put together tribes of up to 30 people, and we can get a group of 30 in and out with prosthetics on them in about two hours. So then we go and we, borrow, we, we uh, bug Carl Urban on the floor whenever he is at a panel. You're the reason why he always cancels. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, he knows we're coming. He's, he's fearful. We're still uh, asking him to give us reparations for killing our planet's uh, geothermal uh, environment. Thanks, Spock. Well, shouldn't you really blame O'Hur because they were having an argument? Well, it was still Spock igniting the actual device, so I guess I can't play uh, Carl Urban, but he said he tends to be the scapegoat that shows up at the conventions uh, the most often. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm great. So, if you can introduce yourself and I'm Robert Hutchison. I'm originally from Montana, and I've been in Portland since. 2000. I'm tired now. <laughs> and how long have you been a Star Trek fan? Since day one. Day one. Okay. So you were there at the beginning. Yeah, I, I was 20. I was 22 when it. First okay. Came so you, out. you were, you were in college no, or had no, just graduated? I was 
I was working. Oh, okay. No, I had, I went to a trade school. I, I didn't go to college. Okay. But I've been, I've got all the all the tapes and all the soundtracks and all that stuff. I got, you name it, I probably got, because I, so I specialize on the uh, original series. Okay. Were you into science fiction before Star Trek? Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, go way back to the 50s, Man in Space. Oh, I've never heard of that one. Then, uh, well, Disney had Warner Von Braun on his Oh yeah. World of Disney or something, and they had had space flight stuff on it. Yeah. So, but I've been interested in astronomy and outer space and since I can remember, first movie I ever saw that I remember was a, a science fiction movie. Oh wow! Wait, well, can you repeat that? The first movie I remember seeing is a science fiction movie. What was it? The Thing from Another World, 1951. <laughs> wow. Did you ever see Forbidden Planet in the theater? Yeah, I've, I've, got, I've, got, I've got the tapes. <laughs> I've seen it dozens of times. So since you've been there from the beginning, what are your thoughts about, about was everything is cyclical, and everything essentially the pendulum swings back and forth have you seen star trek discovery and what are your thoughts on star trek discovery well, it took a little while for me to you know get, get my pre preconceived notions out of the way but, but next year it's supposed to be a lot better because they're supposed to have more 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 of the original enterprise yeah true on, on well the cage era original enterprise crew. oh but this is this is, you know, new actors, not the, yeah, not the yeah, original. But, yeah, but, but Captain Pie, number one. Yeah, and then Spock will be in there and, you know, check off and all eventually. So I'm kind of waiting for that. So what were some of the preconceived notions you had going into season one of Discovery? I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. It was, it was... I think it was better than uh, JJ's. <laughs> okay, that's a fair criticism. <laughs> well, I, I, I got so I like that too. I, I, I like them all. There's no, but I like I said, my favorites are the originals, Kirk and Spock. And so, what are your, uh, some of your favorite episodes of the original series? Piece of the action. <laughs> Trouble with Tribbles. Obsession. Wait, which one is Obsession? That's where he's after this creature. That, that uh, killing his crew, drinking their blood. Oh. Okay. Wait, isn't that the man trap? No, the man, the man trap is the salt vampire. Okay. But this was... It was, it was a cloud. Oh, the cl okay, yes, the cloud. Yeah. That's, 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 they used the uh, anti-antimatter explosion to get rid of it. Okay. Those are, oh, there's quite, quite a few. Uh, let, let that be your last battlefield. I thought that was a good one. Okay. And then there's, oh, there's few other ones. Salt Vampire. I mean, the Corbomite Maneuver. I, I like that one. Okay. With a... Clint Howard? What? 
Clint Howard, Baylock. Yeah, uh, that, that was Corvo and I remember, yeah. Then there's a... Uh, I know there's a lot more, but I can't see them right now. <laughs> That's okay. Well, like I said, I've always, I've always been into science fiction, so... Then I used, I, I used to be... I used to have a science fiction book club. And, matter of fact, I've got every book I've ever bought, I've, I've got, I've kept. I haven't thought any way. So that, that, that's when, men, when paperbacks are under a dollar a piece, <laughs> 75 cents. Yeah. Sometimes you can get two for one. Wow. Ace, ace, ace doubles, what they call them. Of course, this is in the 60s, I guess. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you. Let me give you my card. Well, who is your favorite character? Your character is Spock. Okay. Of course, you know why I like Spock. Why? Because I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan, oh. and him and Sherlock are a lot alike. Then there's, I say Scotty was number two, then Captain Kirk. The one I really don't like too much is uh, is, uh, is McCoy because he's always, you know, spouting off and arguing with Spock and that sort of stuff. He's kind of too emotional for me. But that's what they wanted with the Kirk Spock, yeah. you know, the id, the ego, the id, the super, super. I agree, I agree with that. They were they worked very good together. Of course, my favorite female character was uh, Yeoman Rand. <laughs> Uhura was number two. Okay. Then Nurse Chapel. Okay. That's about it. Of course, my favorite spaceship is the Enterprise, of course. Okay. And I was kind of kind of upset when they destroyed the Enterprise and Sirs was fought. That kind of. It's kind of bad. Well, I'll tell you, when I, I was in a, in a movie theater when I first saw that. And in a movie theater, you get, you, you get a buzz, you know, and everything. But when the Enterprise was blown up, there was complete silence. And I heard some sobs, you know, and oh no, and all that sort of stuff. So the Enterprise was just as important as the uh, characters, I think. So then it's probably safe to say you weren't weren't a fan when Hallmark decided to issue that that is as a Christmas ornament, the destruction of the Enterprise? No, I didn't like it at all. No, I didn't like it at all, of course. But I got over it eventually. <laughs> First, and when, 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 when Spock was going to die, I kind of, I knew he wasn't going to die. I just... Thought that no, they can't get rid of him. He's, he's too important to the show. So, so I didn't really worry about that. Although I did break, you know, break down a little bit on that on his death scene there. Yeah. But uh, mo most people did, I think. Yeah. Of course, when uh, when Kirk uh, died on the, the new Enterprise, I <laughs> didn't favor me that much. Okay. My favorite science fiction writers are Robert Heinlein, okay. Arthur C. Clarke, Isaac Asimov. Those are the big three. 
So I'm probably going to regret asking you this, but where do you fall on Harlan Ellison? I've got a lot of his stuff. Okay. Well, I know he was kind. Of, he could be kind of a monster if he wanted to be. <laughs> him, and, him and Isaac are kind of going back and forth. They had some kind of a, you know feud. Not nothing, nothing serious, but just you know how they how it happens. Yeah. But uh, like I said, I've got I've probably got a book about a book from every author from A to Z, I think, except for. I think there may be one I don't have. The Q, I think there's a Q one I don't have. But I've, I've got the Z and the X and the Y and ABC all the way up to that. So, like I said, I've been collecting science fiction for 40, 50 years now, I guess, since, wow. since the late, since the middle 60s. So I've got a lot of. The only trouble is I'm running out of uh, wall space. Yeah. I got I must have a dozen boxes full of yeah. books. Of course now I'm I'm now I'm collecting uh, Star Trek memorabilia. Okay. Like, you know, I have a Oh I and I also have a flying model of the Enterprise. Oh, okay. That I bought three, quite a few years ago now. Did I did I turn it right to the right thing for you? Gosh, I'm good, like magically so. No idea what it is, but. You know. Hello, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm good, let me give you my card. Robert Reyes. How are you? I'm good, I came up, I came up for the panel. Oh, okay. The, the, uh, Star Trek Day panel earlier. Star Trek Day panel, yeah, yeah, glad to see you here. Flew out of LAX for this. Really? Yeah. Came all the way from Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, you're a diehard. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long have you been a Star Trek fan? Um, since 1960 something, when I was oh, so from the beginning watching the original series with my brother at nine o'clock every Wednesday night. <laughs> was it a black and white or color set? Uh, we had a black and white okay. set, and then we got a color set later. Okay. Yeah. So, were you into science fiction before, or? Um, I think yes. I think I've always been into science fiction, and uh, it's just attractive to me because okay. it's science. I love science. Okay. Did you come by here yesterday? Yeah. So since you were there at the beginning and everything is cyclical and the pendulum swings back and forth, what are your thoughts on Discovery? I love them all. Okay. Every last one of them ha has different point of view, different characters. You know, I don't worry about the technology appearance thing. It's the same problem that Star Wars has, you know, with the newer ones seeming a lot more modern than the original ones. That's okay with me. That's okay. What I really like are the stories and the characters, and I just think that it gets more and more mature as time goes on. I just really love it. So have you seen season one of Discovery? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah. It was, it, it was a lot more challenging emotionally than 
the other series. The other series, you know, still keep things kind of lighthearted. Yeah. This one was dead serious in a lot of places. I know, because they killed off characters you didn't expect. Right. And there were lots of twists and characters came back like you didn't expect. And it was, yeah, it was a wild ride the first season. So what are your hopes for season two? Um, perhaps that it lightens up just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> it was too dark for your liking? It, well, it was a kickstart real dark. But then, you know, we, have, we talk about it, you know, it was... Yeah, you know, right at the doorstep of the um, of the um, the cage. No. Yeah. Well, it's at the war. Right. The Klingon. The war. Klingon war. Yeah, it was right at the doorstep, and then they fell headfirst into that, and things were pretty bad until they got that situation kind of under control, and they well, got they it to, under control. Well, they had to go through the mirror universe to do it. Well, they didn't have to, but unfortunately they did. <laughs> they did, but they came out with the tools they needed to, to, to take care of it. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm thinking that now that they've gone through that ugly passage that they're now at a place where they can relax and start, you know, doing what they had originally planned to do, which is science and exploration. Yeah. So then you're okay with them bringing Captain Pike and number one from the cage and and Spock as he was around the cage? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's just part of the story. They're not trying to be a, like the... Like the movies, um, the Chris Pine movies, they're they're trying to go off in a different direction, so they had to create an alternate timeline. This isn't an alternate timeline. It is the timeline. And so I'm really happy that they're pulling things together. Okay. So you're, you're, you're a fan that's in the, this is prime Star Trek, not in the, this is alternative timeline or it's not real Star Trek. It's all real Star Trek. The only thing it has to do to be real Star Trek is to have the values okay. and to have kind of that mindset and approach to things, which Lorca really didn't have, let's admit. He was kind of out of step there. But, you know, they just have to be um, basically from, from a universe, from a from a, get, uh, uh, an organization that has values of um, diplomacy over war, of, you know, taking care of people, not trying to dictate to people, you know. That's all Star Trek. If it, if it does that, I mean, even Orville, to a certain degree, is Star Trek, you know. So I'm fine with all of it. Because I'm... I see a lot of the other shows, Star Wars, you know, to me is dystopia, and Star Trek is utopia, and I just really love the utopia of it. Okay. 
Now, but as a part of the, as of, of the group, have you encountered, I guess, the best way to say, that, that vocal minority that considers themselves gatekeepers? Oh, yeah, sure. In, in the group, at, 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 at your meetup. There's a wide variety of opinions, yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. I, I just don't believe in, in you know, being so rigid that you can't move forward. I mean, if you try to, if you say that things can't change, then how can they change? I mean, they want more, and if it's different than the original, because anything more is going to be different, then they're kind of stuck with the first, what, three seasons? Yeah, with the first three seasons, and what today also is, is not only the 52, 52nd anniversary of the debut of the original series, it's the 45th anniversary of the debut of the animated series. That's right. That's right. Wow. I, I've watched the animated series a few <laughs> times. Well, a few episodes. The animated series is the only thing that I haven't been able to get through. I It's on my to-do list. It's just never been on uh, Netflix or oh, anything. It's currently on Netflix. It is? Yeah. It's At been on Netflix for a while. At the time when I was looking, it was not. It's on Netflix. It's on Hulu Plus. I believe it's on CBS All Access. Okay. Okay. It's definitely on my to-do list now. Okay. The well, the two episodes uh, I've seen are More Trouble with More Tribbles and the uh, first one. Yes, for you. Yes. Well, like far, like Seattle. Well, then you're good. Okay. So just so yeah, you know, yeah. Star Trek fans of the Northwest. Okay. So I have to tell you that um, it, Star Trek came out in the '60s, yeah. and then later on. Around the 90s, we started getting personal computers. By that time, my mother had learned everything she needed to know about computers from Star Trek. Was that if you confused them, they would spark and explode. That if if you punched a button incorrectly, it would spark spark and explode. It just didn't matter. I mean, and that you could confuse a computer just by giving it a riddle, you know, and. Um, she was terrified. She was terrified of computers and always had us do stuff for her because she was really sure they would spark and explode. I've never heard that before. Yeah. So if you get do a Kirk speech or confuse it or push the wrong button or if you get angry while you're in Ponfar and hit it. Yeah, it will spark and explode. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it seemed to work. Well, imagine the generation, my parents. Yeah, they went from a computer the size of this room to, 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 to the same technology to something on their desk. Right. Well, I mean, even better than that, there were no semiconductors when they were born. It was World War One or World War Two, right? There just wasn't the electronics explosion. You know, the semiconductors and the transistors, you know, came later. And then after that, there was just this huge explosion of, of technology that followed it. And um, I remember... My dad would carry around a a plastic box full of um, 
VCR tapes, all bought, uh, John Wayne and war movies and things like that. And my sister and I bought an iPod. <laughs> and we put all the movies on the iPod. And he just, he, he just was astounded. And he would walk around the house with the earphones in, with the, with the movie, and he'd run into the wall. Or he would stop and he would say, I could take this to the doctor's office. We'd say, yeah. He's like, I could take this in the car. No, don't do that. But it was just amazing to him that that whole box that he'd been carrying around fit into this little thing. I mean, it was just really, really a change for him. It's hard to grasp. I just wonder what I'm going to have hard, a hard time grasping at some point. I'm going to probably say computers without keyboards. Well, I'm an electrical engineer, <laughs> and I've been working with computers, and I'm just not surprised at anything. There's just some, I mean, everything's brilliant. Everything they come up with next is just brilliant. It fills a gap, you know. You, every time you think you get, oh, the storage is the choke point. Well, they come up with this phenomenal storage. Oh, the memory's a choke point. You know, and now you've got cloud and you've got self. I mean, it's just, it's all phenomenal. It's all fantastic ideas. Yeah. I know, it's hard to imagine that this phone has more computing power than the astronauts had on their way to their moon. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Um, the, my first employee, my first job out of college was in 1982, and I was working um, just south of Ames Research, uh, NASA Ames in California, but I was working for TRW, and my mentor had a work-study job when he was going to school in Stanford, and his work-study job was to walk behind the computers and feel if the tubes were cold. <laughs> and unscrew the tube and put in a new tube. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty amazing the, the computing power we have today. You know, those computers at Stanford were just calculators. Yeah. You know, they were just basic calculators. Not with much memory either. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So they paid him to just feel the tubes. Walk around and feel the tubes. Walk behind the computer and look for vacuum tubes that had burned out and then just replace them. Wow. <laughs> yeah, those were the days. Huh? Those were the days. <laughs> I'm much happier where we are today than back then. Everything was hard back then. Well, yes and no. Uh, well, I, I bought a tablet for my grandmother so she wouldn't have to wake me wake me up in the because I were I, I was working night. So if she needed something looked up on the internet, she'd have to wake me up. So I buy her a tablet. Right. And what does she do with said tablet? She just plays slot games on it. Okay. But that's a beginning. <laughs> but that's all she does. That's all she does. You can't get her to Google things or no. no. Yeah, some things are hard to some people, some habits are hard to break. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's not my problem. <laughs> my know. problem is I always like the next thing. Right. And so I have a hard time sitting still on one thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I do. I didn't get your name. Liz. Liz, I'm Robert. Nice, nice to meet, to meet you. you. So are you here? Are you, do you live in the Portland area? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a member of the Star Trek, yeah. Northwest Star Trek group. Yeah. Have you, have you been to STOV before? Oh, yes. We were there last year, and oh, then I was there the year, year before. Um, this year. This year. Just last month, actually. Last, last month. month is- okay, you may have seen me wandering around the hallways in the same red sweater. Okay. Right. Okay. So who, who, who are you doing your uh, interview for? Oh, the, for? Uh, the Promenade Podcast. Okay. Oh, wait, did I give you my card? No, I didn't get your card. Okay. Right, we'll what, check the, it out. what is Marina doing? She's photobombed our, our picture with, <laughs> <laughs> with I love Michael Marina Dorn. so much. I love her so much. It's like rule number one, do yeah. what Marina says and nobody gets hurt. Yeah. Rule well, number two, see rule number one. That's right. That's right. She's hilarious. And she was giving him... She was giving him... Well, she was making... She was giving him the business. The business, yeah. <laughs> And uh, just started wow. walking back and forth in front of the camera, <laughs> and we got it. <laughs> I'm so happy about that. Promoting Star Trek Week with a bunch of festivities. Like I love them so much. Oh, sorry. Good to see you again. Oh wait, well she's got the ultimate selfie. I saw. Oh, pardon me. Okay, if we can let everybody know who you're cosplaying as today. Well, Deanna Troy, sort of, but I didn't do the hair. Okay. But I have the pips. Okay. Yeah. Sure, why not? You're hipster Deanna Troy. <laughs> I'm hipster Deanna Troy with old vintage glasses. I could see you're doing that. Yes, yes, that's me. What about you? Um, I guess I would say that I'm uh, Riker, but without... You're season one Riker in a season three uniform. Exactly. Exactly. With a season six Deanna Troy. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Didn't really plan that out too well, but that's okay. Cool. What are you guys well, up to here? Well, I. Well, let me give you my card. There you Thank go. you so much. All right. Oh, a podcast. Yes. Oh, rad! I love podcasts. Yeah. Do you? I, I like. Are you interviewing all the Chuckies that can walk in through here? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I came up here. Yeah, for start for the Northwest Star Trek week. Yeah. There's actually been a lot of Trekkies today. Been, uh, well, it's Star Trek Day because, as you know, it's the 52nd anniversary of the premiere of the original series, and it's the 45th anniversary of the premiere of the animated series. There we go. Well, that's that explains it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we were here yesterday for the uh, Next Gen panel. Which was, okay. How was that? It was great. Um, oh, it, I, I, that's all I can really say. It was it was it was a lot of fun. It's the first time I've been seen the panel for Next Gen, besides when I was like maybe eight years old or something. I went to a Star Trek con. Okay. So, so you haven't been to any of like the big conventions like STLV not, or not in recent years at all. Not okay. like I said, I was, I was a child when I went last. So, okay. um, and I'd never seen uh, any of the cast in person before, so that was special. And oh, you um, got to experience Marina for the first time, oh my unfiltered. God, I'm not a woman, no, I <laughs> yeah. can't even. She's just always on, like yes. ready to say something, and she's assertive. And uh, I know she's like a feminist too, and. As is Gates McFadden, so yes. yeah, I appreciate them. It was fun, and yeah, I think it's, it's good. Yeah, she took charge for sure. 
That sounds about right. Yeah. Was that did someone attempt to be a moderator? Or was there no moderator? There's no moderator. Okay. Well, and, uh, she started off by saying, I'm just going to leave it to you guys. She knew how popular the panel would be, and she just let us quite do questions instead of yeah. taking up time doing moderating, which was interesting. Well, because they've done, they've told all the same stories. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Did she explain the questions not to ask? Oh. Um, no, she didn't, actually. Like, never ask them who, who was their favorite person to work with. Really? I did not know that. Yes. Why is that with TNG in particular? Yeah, with TNG. Oh. Or that they will say name random actor, mm -hmm. and then Marina being Marina. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she definitely would uh, tell the truth. Yes. Out. Maybe get herself into some trouble. Oh, she's Marina. She can never get into trouble. Uh, good point. Good. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. And then we're, I'm like really excited about this Northwest Star Trek. So are you from the, the Portland area? Yes, we are. We're both raised here, so we're, uh, what do you call them when you're natives. not? Natives. Natives. Yeah, we're the natives. natives, for sure. So how did you get into Star Trek? Well, I watched it around, so I'm like a fairly new Trekkie, where I started watching the original series um, maybe in like 2013. Did you get in through the JJ movies? Um, partially, actually, yes. I would say the JJ movies, and um, I like retro things, hence like my old glasses. So I yeah. think original series is like a natural retro thing to get into and at least try. So, um, and Spock is probably what made me, and yeah, just made me love the show so much. And um, yeah, I like and, that. And, and my friend, I just, I was just raised with it. Um, okay. My dad was a big Trekkie, um, so I. I Grew up watching both Next Gen and the original series, and then I just I watched every series, and I've seen every series multiple times. Where, what are your thoughts on Discovery? I have mixed feelings. At first, I didn't like it much. Um, however, about halfway through the first season, I it it, it clicked and just resonated with me after that. So I'm really excited to see what the second season has. Yeah. Okay. So you said you're both Portland na natives, and I heard that they used to do Star Trek in the park up here. That was pre my interest in Star Trek, which I, is kind of, it crushes me to think that I did not get to experience that. And even, I even lived in St. John's at the time they were doing that, which it used to be under the cathedral, in Cathedral Park. And so I'm just like, it kills me to think about it. It sounds amazing. Did you go? No, I've heard about it. Okay. No, I'm from the LA area. Oh, you're from the LA area. Yeah, no, I, I, I knew about it, but I never I never made it out. So okay. I've heard only good things, though. Okay. Maybe I'll do it again. Maybe we well, can I heard they it. only did 79 shows because there were 79 episodes of the original series. Oh, so that's what... I didn't even know that that yeah. was the thing they were doing. Okay. So well, I say they bring it back. Yeah. What? Let's, let's do, do, let's do, do a rerun. <laughs> syndication of it. Or just... Select TNG episodes or something would be fun too. I don't know. Okay, well, have, enjoy the rest of Thank your convention. You so much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. That's why I paid extra for the microphone. Okay, I saw you walking around earlier, so you're gonna have to walk me through what exactly you're, you're cosplaying as. Okay. I am a Borg cube assimila assimilating the Federation. Oh. Why is the Borg cube green? 
because silver spray paint doesn't like me. <laughs> okay. I thought you were doing a Minecraft Star Trek mashup. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. No, I just messed up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, where'd you get the idea to do this this uh, mashup cosplay? Um, I wanted to do something ridiculous, and I had access to like wood cutting supplies, and I thought it would be fun to try some spray painting techniques on wood, and it just worked out. Okay. So has your has the cosplay been well received once people find out what it is? Most people don't find out what it is. They just kind of look at me funny and walk away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Okay, thank you. Let me give you my card. Okay. I'm so sorry for whacking you. That's okay. No spatial awareness right now. Thank you. No problem. It, it's, not, it's not the first time. Awesome. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, so we ventured down a couple of aisles from the Northwest Star Trek book booth and we're here with um, is this the indie glow girl booth or the Glock booth okay it's <laughs> okay and that stands for gorgeous ladies of cosplay so who came up with the idea and the name that would be Jen Hi. okay if you can introduce yourself I'm Jennifer Mesman okay so where'd you get the idea for Glock um, actually, we were watching Glow, <laughs> and we were talking about how we wanted to have cosplayers incorporated into my art, because I was using them a lot as reference, and I was like, how can we make this a brand? And we were like, oh, gorgeous ladies of cosplay! <laughs> and then it just, it's, it's been spiraling out of control ever since. Like, this is our first year conventioning, and we've got like 13 girls now that work with us at different shows, we've got our step and repeat, we just got our pink step and repeat background for people yeah the carpet we're very excited so has your group been well received oh yeah yeah i try to use local girls wherever i can so if i'm going to a show in portland i'm going to hit up olivia and viv and uh life of shell over here and i've got a couple other ones i work with like damn jackie and scarlet wolf so whoever's available and wants to come to the show i try to get them in for free if i can um, I let them sell my, their prints at my table. I usually have a print of them that I've done. So it's a very symbiotic relationship. Plus they give me all the free reference I need. <laughs> so how long have you been doing this? Since you, or conning. <laughs> um, well, the, the glocking. Glock has been around for a little over a year. This is our second year starting at the show. Okay. Okay. So last year you were here, but it wasn't... City last year. Oh, okay. Last year, our first show was Palm Springs. Oh, wow. And then we just did our first Palm Springs of this year uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. So we've only been in, in business, we'll say, for a year. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, we're making our way back. Excuse me. I'm seeing a lot of Marvel cosplay, a lot of Harry Potter, a lot of Disney princesses, a lot of anime stuff, a lot of DC. Good, good crowd today. Well, no, this is my first row you know, city. You Robert, you're actually one, a Facebook friend. We've actually never met in person. We've never met at no. STLV? Well, no. I've seen you, but we've never Wait, Lou? met. Wait, Lou? Lou. Right. Kendra Torah. You're the guy who invited me. Invited everybody to this. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the kind 
Well, no, I, yes, I guess. Okay, then you get <laughs> to be interviewed. I should probably be more literate. Or <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Okay, well, yeah, uh, my name is Lou Torres, and I'm the organizer of Northwest Star Trek Week. It's the first annual event for Northwest Star Trek Week. Has anybody told you about it yet? Um, well, be, I, I have seen the, the, the sign. I know that at around 5 p.m. there's going to be a contingent heading down to um, Verst. Will anybody pronounce Verst? Oh, you know what? If you were German or Austrian, yes. <laughs> but I think it, it's the worst with a U, so you're right. <laughs> the worst bar for the landing party. Yeah. The worst bar. I know. I, you know I've what? been... You remember it. <laughs> I've been to Long Beach. I've, I've actually been to the actual worst bar, but that's another story for another time. This is actually a great bar called the Worst Bar. Okay, yeah. then you can answer this question. They have food there, right? They have food, they have a full bar, and they have arcade games, pinball. Okay, because I do plan to, to, to go down there. Oh, yeah, no, definitely they, they, they will have food. Okay, so where did you get the idea to do a Northwest Star Trek week? Did it just happen to coincide with the 52nd anniversary, or did it just was that just... It's not, it's not really so much the 52nd anniversary. So I don't know how to make this long story short, but I'll try. Take as much time as you need. I can fix it in both. Okay, good. Um, I moved here a few years ago, and uh, I didn't really know anyone. And uh, the other half was like, you love Star Trek. You should try to go to do a Star Trek group. And we love to go out to happy hour, so I started a group called Vancouver Star Trek Happy Hour. And we do monthly happy hours at different group ups for people into Star Trek and sci-fi. So it's been going very well. People really seem to enjoy it. And this spring, I by the way, if I am coming across oddly, I just got Invisalign. Probably not the best way to be on recorded. It's okay. So people, uh, it, this is what Invisalign does I was at STLV last month. <laughs> I, you sound better than a lot of people do around at 3 a.m. at the masquerade. Oh, I, okay, fair enough. <laughs> just imagine me as a Ferengi and maybe that'll help. Um, to <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I thought, well, you know, we should do something bigger. And I was thinking Rose City Comic Con, we'll do our happy hour. We'll find a bar nearby. And then I thought, why don't we do something a little bit bigger and try to make it a, a festival? Because I, I love Star Trek Las Vegas. It's so much fun. But I couldn't go this year. And so I thought, maybe we can get a bunch of events tied around a, a week. But we all have jobs. We don't want to start our own con. We don't have time to do all these events ourselves. So what we've done is we have a website, we have a Facebook page, we're on Twitter. And we went around and asked people, whatever you want to do that's Star Trek themed for the week, we will help promote it. Honestly, we thought we'd have one or two events, but everyone from the Hollywood Theater showing the Wrath of Khan tomorrow. I'm so upset because Anyway. I, I have to miss that tomorrow. Why? Well, to save money, because I flew out of LAX for this. Oh, okay. And if you've ever flown out of LAX... I, I, I work for an airline. I, yes, I have. <laughs> okay. So you have to understand, so my bar is very low. And I, I fly into port and I'm like, this is the best airport ever. It's open and there's... And mind you, it was like 2.30 in the morning, but it's like, it's open space. And it doesn't look oppressive. We like Portland Airport, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah so, so, we, so to uh, save money, I had to get the last flight out of L.A., which was 11.55. Uh, 
and to save money, I had to get the the, the 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 least expensive flight leaving tomorrow, which is at 5 a.m. Oh my gosh! Okay, well, I <laughs> you, I hope you brought a pillow with you to the airport. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I'll be able to get like a nap. In, okay. Yeah, I got a hotel. Yeah. All right, good. Yeah, I'm saying on the other side of the river. Gotcha. Well, oh, in Vancouver. Yeah. Well, that's where I live, that, and that's where my group. Vancouver, Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, Washington. Yes. Okay. And for those, yes, believe me, I tell people all the time. I live in Vancouver, Washington. I live in Vancouver, Washington. I live in Vancouver, Washington. And you say Seattle. I, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's a beautiful city. I, you know, but I don't get over the border very much. I'm like, okay, Vancouver, Washington. <laughs> it's outside Portland. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so we've got all these people like Barnes & Noble and the Nerd Out and uh, Fallout Comics, donating comics. And people have really jumped in and... It's, uh, right now, it's eight events over 10 days at 11 different locations. And we're excited for next year already. We already have some plans for some pretty exciting things. But all the events, except for uh, obviously the movie tickets, are free to get in. There's no cover charges. Um, well, you we all to just get, you had to pay to get in. Well, Rose City Comic Con, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the events at Northwest yeah. Dodger right. Um, yeah, because we, we love cons, but we know they're expensive. So. <laughs> We want to make it easy for people to get around. So how is the Star Trek community here in the, the Portland area? Very warm, very friendly. I I am so happy that I took my other half's advice and opened Vancouver Star Trek Happy Hour because I met some great friends already. Um, just just really wonderful people. I mean, I think anywhere you go, anywhere in the country, anywhere around the world, if you meet other Trekkies, you're going to find some of the most open-hearted people you'll ever meet. So, Portland's no exception. Uh, the community is definitely growing. I will say that the first year I moved here, so I've been here four years, I saw very few people on Star Trek, like 10 maybe, at Rose City Comic Con. And now, I'm standing at the booth and every few minutes there's another, here comes another Trekkie. Yeah. So it's definitely growing well, much more. Well, I know they used to do Star Trek in the park. Yeah. Here in, in the, and then I, I was, I found out that I guess in Corvallis, it's a different group of people and yeah. they're, they're ending their run with the inner light. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing that I love about moving up to the Pacific Northwest. So I, when I moved up here, I'd heard about Trek in the Park and I was so excited. And they were like, oh no, they did it for five years. This is a five year mission and they're done. I was like, no, but you look around here exactly like down in Corvallis, they're doing live Trek like staging live trek uh, just recently in northern Washington there was a theater group doing uh, Klingon opera oh wow oh I'm sorry my apologies it was Shakespeare it was Shakespeare in the, in the original Klingon yeah they were, doing, were they doing Hamlet because I know that somebody actually translated that it was either Hamlet or Macbeth okay I know one, one of the ones and that they had just done it and I was like oh my god I'm working that day but that would have been so great there's a Stovacore, which is a Klingon cover band. Uh, well, not, I'm sorry, Klingon death metal band. They don't do covers. <laughs> who, who would they cover? <laughs> but, I mean, there's all that kind of creativity over, up here, and they just, they're expressing it through Trek, which excites me a lot. <laughs> so are there any plans to sort of, like, have a second one to coincide with Emerald City Comic Con in March, or...? For, you mean for Star Trek? Yeah. For so our uh, Northwest Star Trek week, we're going to try to make it an annual event. Okay. This is the first one. And we're going to try to coincide it always with Star Trek Day, which is always September, September 8th. 8th. 
So it might not be okay. Yeah, but we'll try to always make the week somewhere where uh, Star Trek Day is touching it in the middle of it at the end of it. Okay, whatever. Okay. Okay. Oh, and you know what? Dr. Ethan Siegel. I saw you at the panel this morning. So. Oh, thanks for coming. <laughs> I would have been there sooner, but you know this place is freaking huge. Yeah, this place is enormous. This okay, place is enormous. let me give you my card, sir. Sure. Now, if you want to get situated, because if you want to, if you want to plug your book, are you saying that I should give you an email and we should set up a time and well, we should do or, an or we can do it now? Or you want to do it now? We Let's can. do it now. Okay, if you want to like get get your, sure. get situated, yeah, yeah. So shall we? Shall we sure. We can do that. Okay. Okay, now if you can introduce yourself, sir. Sure. My name's Ethan Siegel, theoretical astrophysicist and author of the new book, Treknology, the real-life science behind the technologies featured in Star Trek. Now, you said this morning in the book you, you highlight 28 specific technologies and that 24 of them, we've either, we've, they've actually happened or we've surpassed them. Or, or they're on their way. There are of these 28 technologies that we profile, from tricorders to phasers to warp drive, only four of them, we think, with what we know today, may not be possible. The others are either on their way, already here, or, like you said, in some cases, we have surpassed them. Well, where'd you get the idea to do th this book? You know, I was a Star Trek fan ever since I was about 13 years old, and I discovered Star Trek The Next Generation and this vision of Star Trek. And it was actually uh, a friend of mine who approached me who said, hey, it's been 50 years since the premiere of Star Trek. Do you remember when you read Lawrence Krauss's The Physics of Star Trek when you were in high school? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, how far have we come since then? And I started to tell my friend about all these technologies that we didn't know were possible, that now we know are possible, and all these new discoveries we've made and these new advances we've made, that many of these things in a whole slew of fields, from, from like fundamental physics like tractor beams to applied computational physics like isolinear chips, where we have flash drives now that go beyond whatever they conceived of, to even warp drive, which was just a pipe dream, but in 1994, they discovered a new solution to Einstein's general relativity where we think it could be possible. There are a huge number of advances that have happened, including in medical and biological fields, and weapons and defense fields, and communications, that this was just the perfect time. It all came together. And then, when I got in touch with Voyager Press, which is a division of Quarto, and they told me that they could get the license rights to all of the images and stills from the whole suite of Star Trek movies and TV series. That was what put it all together. I guess we should start. What are the four technologies that at this time we are not able or, or the science is not there yet? Because I know one of them was the transporter. Right. For the, for the transporter, we can only transport information right now. We can't Right, we can do quantum, quantum teleportation, which is of like the fundamental quantum states of particles. We can't do 
full wholesale matter transport. The transporting we could do would destroy the original and recreate a copy. But that's not what you want if you have any interest in staying alive when you use the transporter. The others are warp drive because that extra ingredient is we need something with negative energy or negative mass. But if we can find something with that negative energy or negative mass, that would be possible. So would artificial gravity. And the last impossible technology so far is subspace communication because as far as we know, subspace doesn't exist, just the regular kind of space. <laughs> okay, um, because I, I was, I, well, I've always wondered about that, so could, well, you probably break this down in the book, but what, what do they mean in Star Trek by subspace? Well, the big thing that they use subspace for, the reason they invented subspace, is because they needed a faster-than-light way of sending information. And right now, even though we can do quantum disentanglement faster than light, where if I give you uh, an electron and I have an entangled electron and we run away, you measure your spin of your electron and you say, my spin is plus a half, you know instantly that my spin is minus a half. So that's a way for us to, you know, sort of for you to know things about me instantaneously. But what you can't do is you can say, I'm gonna flip this switch and make my electron spin one half. That doesn't determine mine, that breaks the entanglement. So without being able to transfer information faster than light, we don't have a way to communicate faster than light. So that's why they said, let's have subspace. But the thing is, if I wanted a workaround, I would again go back and say, hey, what about that negative mass thing? What about that negative energy? If you can make that happen, then you can make warp drive possible, which means you can distort your space-time and allow something to travel through it faster than light. Well, why not put something like an electromagnetic message or a gravitational wave encoding message? That could go faster than light, and that would be the workaround. So the whole goal is not to say, how did Star Trek do it? Let's do it exactly that way. The goal is to say, what was Star Trek trying to accomplish and how can real life science make that possible? Well, all right, then I have another question about warp drive. Um, and maybe you can explain this to me. My understanding is with Einstein, if you travel one, if you travel to the point of the speed of light, time outside relatively will slow down to the point where it stops moving. But you but time is normal for you inside whatever vehicle you are. Do, do I have that correct? So that's that's for special relativity. Okay. That's that's what happens in normal flat space if you move close to the speed of light or reach the speed of light. If you reach the speed of light then for you uh, someone outside would see you like no time was passing for you and you would see that all of space had contracted down to like a single plane because you were moving at the speed of light. So that's special relativity. Okay. But in general relativity, what you can do is you can take that fabric of space and instead of it being flat, you can mold it, you can curve it, you can make it malleable. So the idea of what were they found in 1994 of the Alcubierre drive after Miguel Alcubierre who founded it is instead of traveling through this flat space, you could take the space in front of you and compress it. And then the space behind you would rarefy, would expand 
in equal amount. So as you traveled forward in your little bubble of space, you were passing through this compressed space, and that effectively allowed you to go faster than the speed of light without violating general relativity. So you could maybe make a 40 light year journey in like six months, and only six months would have passed for you, and only six months would have passed on Earth. So you can go 40 light years there, 40 light years back, and at the end of it, everyone is just one year older. Okay, so is that why in, and I guess in, in more recent treks such as Enterprise, when they have ships coming out of warp, they, they kind of come out as the way that you just described? Yeah, I mean, if you want to accurately depict coming out of warp, when you go from moving like faster than light effectively to slower than light, it actually, when it rematerializes, it would look like it appears close to you and then there's like an after image that room fades out backwards okay. um, it would be it's it's a very tricky phenomenon because we're used to light working like something bounces off of an object and comes to our eyes and that's how we see it if that object moves faster than light you actually see it in reverse okay which is which is trippy to think about yeah. <laughs> and of the 24 technologies, um, which ones were you surprised that we had surpassed? I mean, I would say what was very surprising to me was to learn how far we were coming with prosthetics, with computational work, and with, um, with cybernetic implants. The idea that Geordi's visor is now inferior technology to what they have where they can plant a camera anywhere and have it wirelessly send signals to an implanted chip in your brain is crazy to me. The fact that people who now are going through what Stephen Hawking went through 30 years ago, that there is just an app in their mind that they can install a computer program that would allow someone to select letters and communicate without having any motor control at all, that they can do that solely with their mind, who knew that that was going to be possible? So for me, it was really the, the medical and biological and man-machine interfaces that surprised me the most. Okay. So you're saying that at some point, we could become like the Borg in terms of, of, of the implants we would have installed? I'll, I'll tell you, I think with the way technology is going, we might do something that the Borg never imagined. You remember the Borg collective, the Borg consciousness, where it was like everyone, everyone's thoughts all together humming as one. Imagine like Twitter. Imagine where people just broadcast their thoughts, what's on their mind. Imagine if half the people on Earth do that, that's more than three billion voices at once that you could just plug into, that you could just listen in on, that you could listen to all the different snippets, and people would be listening in on you and yours also. That, I think, is where we're headed with the way technology is going, where we won't need apps or interfaces where we'll just be plugged in directly to one another's consciousness, communicating and being communicated to by others. I'm not sure that I want other people to know my thoughts, and I'm not sure I want to know other people's thoughts, but I think we've seen that if people have the ability to do it, there are people who are interested in doing it. And I think there are going to be a lot more Curious Georges out there than there are not Curious Georges. Yeah, that's going to be a scary world to live in. 
I mean, I think the part I'm most scared about is is cybersecurity in the sense that we can't even protect people's bank information or their Yahoo accounts uh, from hackers now. What are we going to do when we have prosthetic implants that are like motor control parts of our body? What are we going to do when the very images that we see that get fed in could get hacked and send us false information? What are we going to do when we can't trust our own bodies anymore? That to me is the biggest danger I see, is not the robot uprising or the rise of the machines. I see it as what humans will do to each other through the tool of the machine in our minds. So, th would this be similar to um, what we've seen in several episodes of, of Black Mirror where they have these eye implants and it's sort of like they have Facebook just by looking at someone? Oh, I, I think that's near future stuff. I okay. think that's, I think if we don't have that in 10 years, I'd be surprised. Wow. And if we don't have that in 20 years, I'll be shocked. So you're saying within the next 10 to 20 years, we, we would, we'll be at that point? That, that point that you see on a show like Black Mirror? Yeah, I think, I think we look at Google Glass as like a failed version of what's going to be successful in the not-too-distant future. Because the technology is there, it's just a matter of making it, of packaging it in a cool fashion that's easy to use, that's non-invasive, and that, and that people people are excited about and I think that that that's the last hurdle and then we'll have exactly what you described wow that's good that's just gonna be freaky <laughs> okay and and your book um, Trek what was the, the name of my book is Treknology the science of Star Trek from tricorders to warp drive and my name is Ethan Siegel Treknology is my second book and you can pick it up at Amazon Barnes and Noble Powell's wherever books are sold and as I said earlier you've got a lot of the the usual cosplay a, a, a lot of Star Trek a lot of Star Wars a lot of Disney as I said, I've seen a lot of Disney princesses. I've seen about maybe maybe six aerials today. Um, a lot of Marvel, a lot of DC. There's a guy. I will. I think there are two different people walking around as Michael Keaton, '89 Batman. Um, Doctor Who cosplay. I've seen a lot of Fourth Doctor, a lot of Tenth Doctor. Yeah, Tenth is Tenant. 11th is Matt Smith, 12 is War, 13, 12 is Capaldi, 14, 13 is Jodie Whittaker. A lot of anime and video game stuff that I'm personally not familiar with. Um, I just saw a woman walk by earlier. I presume it was a woman doing Lady Deadpool. I don't want to misgender anyone, but there was a ponytail coming out of the mask. So I think it was Lady Deadpool. And she had a sign saying, Avengers, are you hiring? Okay, so we're going to pause again. We're probably going to head out of the vendor's room. And we're back, and we're outside the vendor's room. They have tables set up so people can actually um, enjoy their meals. So, ma'am, if you can introduce yourself and let everyone know who you're cosplaying as. Yeah, so I'm Sarah, and I'm cosplaying as Hella from Thor Ragnarok. 
Well, how long did it take you to get the outfit together? Yeah, so I did it at the last con, and I just did the top part. And then for this next year, <laughs> um, I had I started about two months ago, and I made the shoulders and all my leg armor. Um, so that took me so probably like three weeks for last year because I did it really fast, <laughs> and I was just kind of up all night. And my friend Susan was helping me a lot, so I had a buddy. Um, but yeah, this year probably two months to make all the other armor pieces. And well, how long did it take to make the headpiece? Because she is wearing the headpiece. <laughs> The headpiece is full of lies because it's a headband from Walgreens that has little teeth on it. And then I painted it and duct taped it, um, but sanding the, so it's floor mat foam. Um, and then I cut it out and then I sanded it with a Dremel and then I just sanded it some more because why, why not? Um, and then I like primed it with wood glue. Um, and then let that dry, and then it stuck together, so I had to sand it again, which was my own fault. Um, so that was probably like a week of just horn making in the evenings after work, just sanding my horns, you know. It was great. <laughs> They're all over my living room. The remnants are still there. <laughs> so we were talking early, earlier before um, I turned the mics on. So you, 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 you have to walk a certain way to get through the hallways? Yeah. Yeah, so you have to kind of sidle sideways to get through the hallways. You have to kind of like um, ant step your way, like one foot, one foot, one foot, one foot, sideways so that you don't bonk everyone with your antlers. <laughs> don't want to put any eyes out. But it's foam. It shouldn't poke in. It is foam, but it's pretty hard because of the wood glue. It makes it pretty rigid. Wait, can I touch yeah. one of them? Yeah, so you oh, can feel oh, like yeah. you could, I mean, yeah. I think if it just bops you on the head or something, it's definitely not going to hurt. But yeah, if it got you like in the eye or like under like your jaw, like that wouldn't be pleasant. <laughs> Have a lot of people been stopping to take pictures with you? Yeah, yeah it's been really fun, and I have Ariel with me, too. Oh, sorry, <laughs> so I just bonked you. Um, but a lot of little kids have been stopping to take pictures with Ariel, um, and I found, a like, a Loki that was really fun to take pictures with and things. Yeah, so it's been good. Okay, and ma'am, who introduced yourself and who you're cosplaying as? I'm Janet, and I am Ariel, but the twist is that I'm wedding dress Ariel, so the full 80s puffy sleeves going on and everything. And how long did it take to get the outfit? To, or, or did, did you make it or did someone else make it? Well, my costume is also full of lies. Um, <laughs> Hella and I spent many a night watching Hellboy and various Netflixes and crying over putting our costumes together. But um, actually, this dress that I'm wearing is a $15 wedding dress that I got from Goodwill. And then we sewed the big 80 sleeves yeah, to just so make them comically large. We made these. Okay. And then we just attached them. Yeah. So everything else is just bought from Amazon. Oh, I let's not forget the wig, though. We made the wig, and that took a whole afternoon. It's like four hours. And then the obvious question, in order to get it just right, you had to use a dingle hopper. Of course. Oh, absolutely. I have it right here. <laughs> there it is. It was $3. <laughs> good one was good to us. Now you also said it took you, it took three people to get you into the dress? It did, so since uh, $5 or $15 wedding dresses are hard to come by, um, this is slightly too small for my bum. So they had to, Sarah's mom had to sew me into this dress this morning using several different ribbons and safety pins. Um, and then my butt came undone after I got out of the car, so we had to redo it outside. But it's fine, that's what safety pins are for. It was good. Safety pins and duct tape. Mm -hmm. 
So all of the little kids have, were, were, have been coming up to you to get pictures taken? They are so sweet. I love it. So I used to be an elementary school teacher, and it's just the best. What grade did you teach? <laughs> Sixth grade. So these these kids are a little bit smaller than what I'm used oh, to, but they're take cute. Them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can take them. <laughs> well, I've seen a lot of aerials today, and I think you, you're the best one. That's amazing. I've seen them too. Um, tried to get a picture with a few. I saw one Ursula, so we got a really cute picture yeah, with her. I've seen two of them. Yeah, so it's been fun. Now I'm going to have to rewatch Little Mary because I never noticed she was wearing an 80s style wedding dress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the very end, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The leg of mutton. Yes. I think we got, we got quite a bit of volume. We did. <laughs> This one's slightly larger than this one. All right, okay. all right, okay. <laughs> well, you see, I blocked out a lot of that movie because, true story, so when it came out on VHS, my little sister was two at the time. Oh, cute. So it was the, there was this three-year period where that was the only movie she wanted to see. Oh, yeah. So she ended up wearing out, like, two copies of that oh, movie. And it got to the point where she's four and she learned how to work a VCR because we all got tired putting it in for her. Yeah, sweet. So it was this, this three-year period where I hated that movie. That's hard. Yeah, when people watch movies on repeat, they can be really difficult. Hi. Hello. Of course you can. Let me get my jingle hopper. There's a bow. You can see the So for those of you wondering what was going on, this family came up and this little girl came up and wanted to get her picture taken with Ariel. Yeah, yeah made my whole day. I love it. Okay. So as I said, the types of, of cosplays that are being reflected here today, I said that earlier, and I've noticed that there are a lot of families here, some of them doing cosplays, others they're just bringing their kids, and I guess the kids are excited to see their real-life superheroes, or not superheroes, that's the wrong word. I guess to see some of their favorite characters in person. Can I interview you two really quick about your shirt, or is now a bad time? Uh, uh, I was the guy from earlier who goes, Hi, Mark. Because that was the family-friendlier quote. So I wanted to go, I didn't rape her. I didn't rape her. Here's my card. Okay, so you can let everybody know what your shirt says. <laughs> oh, you're tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> I tried to show it. You're tearing me apart, Lisa! <laughs> now, how have a lot of people gotten the reference? Uh, not a lot. Not no, a lot. I've, been, I've been keeping track. It's been like six people. Really? Only six? You would have thought everybody would have seen um, the making of the movie about the making of the room. Mm -hmm. yeah, Nobody, uh, no, hardly anybody. I was like, James Franco just did a movie about this. You know, <laughs> and just people stared at us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where did you get the shirt? Because I've never seen this shirt before. We went to a, a, um, a showing, a premiere uh, with Tommy Wiseau. Oh wow! Yeah, here in Hollywood. Portland. Was that Hollywood? Yeah, it was at the Hollywood. Um, okay. And he was there, so it was a screening that he did. And then uh, we bought these t-shirts there, and then he signed them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you did a Q&A before the show, and then after the show, 
and then tried to sell his t-shirts and his underwear. <laughs> it's very interactive, like you throw spoons and you, you yell quotes and just all kinds of fun stuff. Now, did he quote lines from the movie to the audience? No, he didn't. He he was very uh, he was very odd. <laughs> about as odd of his character that you would think he would be when watching that movie is about how odd he is in real life. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. You're All right, so it's after five p.m. The convention's still supposed to go till well. The vendor's room is open till seven, and I think. The last panels ended six five thirty. Excuse me, five thirty. So, for those folks wondering where all of this fandom is going to be going the next decade, I mean, nobody cares. Oh God! Oh my God! I love. I'm like a massive fan of Jurassic Park. I'm glad you recognize. Wait, can I interview you really quick? Oh, sure, sure. Okay, can you let everybody know who you're cosplaying as? Oh, I'm cosplaying as uh, Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park. As played by Wayne Knight. Of course, yes. Okay, where'd you get the idea to do this cosplay? Um, well, I've always been a fan of Jurassic Park, uh, but, uh, you know, I was looking for something to cosplay with my body type, and it's it's a bit difficult as a as a heavier guy. I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, it's it's one that I thought would work pretty well for a convention, uh, and pretty simple to do if a bit uh, warm. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this rain jacket doesn't breathe very much. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I just thought it would be pretty fun, pretty easy to do, and uh, I mean, yeah, I just need rain jacket, ID card, barbasol can. Have, have a lot of people recognized you? Uh, a decent amount, a decent amount, and plenty of people have stopped me for pictures, so that's always really neat. There's a, there's a guy dressed up as a, a Mr. Hammond. Yeah, from, I saw him uh, in the vendor's room earlier. Yes, and he got a picture with me, so that was fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun uh, and pretty neat. Um, really my first uh, cosplay kind of experience, so. Okay, but you've been to the cons before? Um, a couple, yes, but this is my first time doing okay. any kind of cosplay kind of stuff. Okay. Okay, thank you. Have a good convention. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Now, if you can um, introduce yourself. My name is Mary Gobey. And you had a very interesting story that you shared um, during the Star Trek panel this morning. If you could um, share it again. Yes, both my parents are blind, totally blind all their life. We grew up loving sci-fi, and this is from the 1950s and 1960s. So when Star Trek first came on, when it premiered, we were actually watching it before it ever became a rerun because my parents not only liked the sci-fi, but they also saw the message of hope that Star Trek was showing and, and producing, that there was hope that the world was going to, number one, technology was going to be improving everyone's life, and number two, the acceptance of everyone, no matter color, creed, disabilities. So this was something my family was raised with, that message from Star Trek. Now, 52 years later, you can guess my age at this point, um, 29 and a half adjacent? Oh, yes, 29, <laughs> that, thank you. And I am here at the Rose City Comic Con with two of my 10 grandchildren. Wow. So if you have to think about that, that's four generations of being raised with the sci-fi. And I can't um, 
<laughs> I can't compliment Star Trek enough for opening this world to everyone. As much as some people say, well, well, it's the comics, I really think it was Star Trek, the first one, that really made people look and develop hope for the future. Now, what you, you said that your family was into sci-fi. What, what authors were the preferred authors in, in your household? Heinlein. Heinlein. I know my mother's absolutely favorite book was Dora into Summer. And, and I have to agree with her. It's an awfully good book. Also Asimov. Um, and we were reading them through Braille and through what they called talking books at the time. But they weren't necessarily on tape. They were on records. And a lot of people don't re realize that <clears throat> records with music are run at 33 and a third RPMs or 45 RPMs but when you have talking not music you don't need that high fidelity so her records that had books on them would run at five six and eight RPMs so there's technology now what do we do we all pull out our phone and listen to <laughs> audible.com <laughs> I'm an as personally I'm an Asimov fan. Okay. So give me give me Heinlein and Foundation, yes. But right now I'm I since about the 1980s I've gone into the fantasy world. Okay. So I'm preferring um, Marion Zimmer Bradley. Okay. I do listen to a couple of Philip Dicks sometimes. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. Move it into my era. Okay. <laughs> So, wait, being a fan there at the very beginning, did you ever think 52 years later that you would see Star Trek still being a thing and evolving and reflecting, still reflecting the current times in which it, it, it's existing? Actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because when um, The Next Generation came out and the character Geordi uh, was developed and having the IP... Um, I adaption so that he could see my parents absolutely loved that and it was about 1986 87 that there was a sci-fi con here in Portland as there always is um, and I took my mom and my mom because of her eyes they they do not look like a normal person's eyes they have defects on them so I said mom you look really good as an alien so I dressed my mom and put makeup on her so she was an alien that Star Trek would have run into. And we came down here and we actually got to meet William Shatner. Wow. So to me, and that was in like 86, 87. So even at that point, we were glad to see where Star Trek was going with the next generation. And then obviously, as a podcast, you won't see what I'm wearing. I'm wearing VDEC. Um, wins costume before from Deep Space Nine um, and Deep Space Nine to me was really instrumental in opening the doors even more because it was not a spaceship it was a community and I really liked that a lot so I approve of where it's been going and dare I even say I do approve of Orville <laughs> I like the tongue-in-cheek, okay. but he still does good homage to the messages that are being made. So you're, you're okay 
because it took them a few episodes to balance out the humor with the serious storytelling. Yes, and bringing up serious conversations, um, that, that is what I really approve of. And they are, they are walking the same walk as Gene Roddenberry did of bringing forth controversial topics. Maybe not so controversial nowadays, but it's still topical, it's still in the news. Um, bullying, as well as I want to, I want to say the refugees, things like that. They're, they are bringing gender identity. Yes, gender identity. They're bringing these topics to the screen, and I appreciate that. Um, what are your thoughts on discovery? Discovery, I like. What I don't like is CBS. <laughs> I don't like how they're playing out how we get to watch it. Okay. That that irritates me very much. Okay. But that's across all networks that are doing that type of thing. I know that they're trying to make their money. Um, but that, that that's the only thing. Discovery itself, it is a good dark side look. And, and I, I'm waiting to see where it leads to and who might be showing up this next season. That's really exciting. Well, we know we're going to get Captain Pike. We're going to get number one because she's already been cast. And we're getting Spock circa the, the Cage era. I don't know if we're going to see Dr. Boyce. Did I miss something that I thought? Luke. Picard. Oh no, that's a that's another that's a separate series. Okay. That's going to be a that, that's another series. CBS wants to do Star Trek all year long. So they're trying to entice people to not cancel their subscription. Oh. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> it's already gone. I'll I'll sign back up again when they have all of them on there. <laughs> well, good news. Season one of Discovery will be out, out on DVD good. in November. Good. Good. So it's um, it's good that they're keeping it going, but I wish they would stop looking at it as a cash cow. Okay. Well, some people would make the argument that's how Gene saw it, because he was trying to make money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So CBS is is doing similar to what Gene did, because he he formed Lincoln Enterprises, which is now Roddenberry.com. Yes, but. They're not being satisfied with the money that they get from a regular TV show. They're being greedy. So do they get their money through the advertisers, or do they get the money from the viewers? Well, people would rather pay more to not have to sit through the commercials. I don't mind. Okay. But then again, I work for corporate America that make those advertisements, so that pays my paycheck. (laughs) I don't mind it. So Mad Men's more like a documentary to you then? <laughs> yes, I like Mad Men. <laughs> That's okay. okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, I was wondering which Vedic you were dressed as. So this was what Kai or Vedic when when wore. When you very first saw her on well, there was the siege. Yes. The siege, which is episode nine. I do believe um, that she first shows up in, and as people have been taking my picture, I'm 
I'm going to assume here on a podcast that I can say bad words. I have a grandchild yeah, next fine. to me right yeah. now. But when people take my picture, I say, do you want me to give you the resting bitch face, which she always had? <laughs> and then I said, okay, I'm going to give you the resting bitch face, but then you've got to take a picture of me smiling so that that shows that I'm not like that person. <laughs> but it's something you have to play into all of those evil queens. The e- You know, there's Ursula, and there, there's... I'm trying to think of the 101 Dalmatians. Um, Camilla DeVille. Yeah, Cruella. We all have to play into it and enjoy it. And so today I'm, <laughs> I'm Vita Win. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Meadow Robert here, coming to you from the Friendly Studios. So I'm just giving all of you a heads up that. You might want to turn down the volume on whatever device you're listening to because this final portion of the episode has Robert going to a bar up in Portland. And unfortunately, because there was a lot of background noise going on at the bar, Robert had to yell. And as you know, Robert has this tendency to yell into the microphone, which we are working with him to correct that. So that way you're not surprised or shocked. So just turn down the volume right now so that way you can enjoy this final portion that happened from Rose City Comic Con when we left the Oregon Convention Center and we made our way to a bar. And I'll let Pass Robert explain the name of the bar. So thank you and enjoy the rest of the episode. All right, to quote... Hugh Hauser, Tom has passed. That's amazing. Okay, I found that funny. Two other people probably did as well. Okay, so we're no longer at the Oregon Convention Center, which I need to, like, complain. Um, AT&T, you let me down today because I had, like, crap reception in that building, one, and two... There was no, there was comp Wi-Fi in selected zones, and if you like tilted your body like one degree, you were out of said zone. And if you wanted Wi-Fi, you had to pay for it. And my understanding is the the paid Wi-Fi in the Oregon Convention Center sucks. So, what does it say when the Anaheim Convention Center in Orange County, California, and the Rio Convention Center in Las Vegas have better Wi-Fi? And I got phone reception in those buildings. Okay, that's the end of my rant. So we're now coming to you from the worst bar. It's worst, W-U-R-S-T, or in the correct German, Wurst. Um, I've already had a berry cider. I may get, may get another berry cider. I don't know. It all depends. So a lot of folks have come from the con or from other events. So we got people playing pool, we got people playing basketball. So to recap, other than the telephonic and wireless issues I had in the cavernous building that probably has lead in it, known as the Oregon Convention Center, um, for all of you fans who are listening in the Portland area, um, you're, you're more than welcome to rebut me. You can email me, the podcast, promenadepodcast at gmail.com. Um, tweet me, a promenadepod on Twitter. 
Um, it's Promenade Pod. Just look at Promenade Podcast on Facebook if you wish to rebut any of that. Um, other than those technical issues, which I had no control over, a good time was had by all. Went to WonderCon back in March, and that was that was more of a different animal because that was in Anaheim, and a, that that was a different type of convention goer and cosplayer. Those are people who they freak. They 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 may also go to San Diego Comic Con. So WonderCon is like their their out of town tryout for what they want to do for San Diego Comic Con here at at Rose City Comic Con. Just people who are cosplaying. Just for the love of cosplaying, as I said, I well, I have to up this number now. I saw about maybe seven or eight aerials today. So many Harley Quinns, a lot of Jokers, a lot of Marvel, DC folk, other various sci-fi franchises, Steven Universe, Rick and Morty. Who else? I didn't see any Venture Brothers. Now, I'm not saying there weren't any Venture Brothers. I just personally didn't see them. Or I wasn't paying attention, so that's on me. A lot of anime and co- and other comic cosplay. A lot of it well done, actually. Um, and something else I saw today has been highlighted on a couple of other podcasts I listened to that our good friends Heather and Jeff do over at the Tricorder Generations on their Shore Leave episode when they talk about con etiquette. And I believe, I'm trying to remember if Women at Warp did this this episode as well where sue was talking about this where you have some people who if it's a a woman in a in a cosplay and the cosplay is accentuating their femininity i i guess that's probably the best way to say that and people will either take pictures of the front of said cosplayer or the back of said cosplayer without their consent or permission. Now, I didn't see that today. I actually saw someone being polite and asked, there were these three women who were cosplaying Belle, Aurora, and Ariel. Uh, the Belle and Ariel cosplayers were in their 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 normal, like, Belle was in the blue dress at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. The Ariel cosplayer was in that, I guess, that outfit she's wearing when, when she human and she's on trying to court Prince Eric and Aurora was dressed as Aurora and they were just looking down because we we were up on the second floor and we were looking down to this the first floor and there's this large area and he asked politely if he could take a picture of them from behind looking down at that and then he asked if he could take a picture of them turned around posing to the camera that was the con etiquette I personally saw today so I can't speak to what other people saw. Some of my reservations, if you were following me on social media, were essentially, I didn't know if the people running Rose City Comic Con, the, vo- the volunteers, or the actually paid staff, would be cool and let me do my thing in the red sweater to interview people because I just have a regular day pass. I'm not credentialed as press. And I didn't have any issues the day. Everybody was cool about it. That that was nice for a change because I know other conventions I've been to, WonderCon, um, which is run by the same people that run San Diego. And when I went to the creation convention in Chicago last year, I know in Chicago specifically, I had somebody freaking out on me because I was starting to interview people and because they've never seen a podcaster before. Here, I think everybody was a lot cooler and mellower, and they went, as long as you know the rules, we're not going to bother you. 
I've got faith of the heart. I've got faith to believe. I can do anything. I've got strength of the soul. Something, something. Blah, 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 blah. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got faith. Faith of the heart. You're welcome.